Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing the fifth episode of Star Trek Picard Season 2, Fly Me to the Moon. Fly me to the moon. That's all I know. Fly me to the moon. <laughs> Sorry. I can sing the whole thing, but I won't. You can even <laughs> stay in tune and hit a note, which is more than I can do. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, we are moving to a new schedule for the month of April, which is to say the rest of this season of Picard, where we're recording as normal next week. And after next week, we're going to a fortnightly slash bi-weekly schedule because our April is just really, really, really crazy busy. Busy. And, and when we said that we would do weekly episodes for new Star Trek, that was back when it was like 10 weeks in a year. And we've been doing this weekly since last year and it's been a while. I think my flatmate would like it if I had time to do chores on weekends. Maybe. I said to my kids that I woke up early to watch uh, Star Trek Picard before work mm -hmm. this week and I was explaining that I hadn't yet watched Moon Knight but I had gotten <laughs> up early <laughs> to watch Star Trek Picard and my son said that's because it's your job. That's kind of the thing I love talking about it with you but it's a heavy enough workload that I don't want it to stop being fun and it's seriously impacting my weekends and also normally I am quiet enough at work that I can get 10 minutes here and there where I just need to concentrate on something else and let my work stuff percolate in the back of my mind so I will polish and edit or I will work on a transcript and I am planning a conference and a gala for the end of the month I don't have time and I'm doing photo caps yeah, which are great. So far been on time. Yes. Very proud of myself. It's the little things, you know? Yeah. In my job, my Star Trek job. <laughs> We're doing this because it's fun and we love it and we want it to keep being fun. And I have to admit that I felt better about this plan the other day before we watched this episode because when I suggested it, I was like, I don't feel like we have enough positive stuff to say about Picard that I really want to be talking about this every week. It's just going to be a downer for everyone. And then I really enjoyed Fly Me to the Moon. I had a lot of fun watching it. There was no racism, probably because the black characters were all kind of sidelined. And the ice situation stopped. It was resolved very, very quickly and anticlimactically. And mm -hmm. we sort of immediately moved into the realm of privileged and mostly white people doing, I don't want to say Marvel villain stuff, but Adam Sung is definitely a Marvel villain. So let's talk about Fly Me to the Moon. Okay. Should we start with Not Laris? Yes. As the episode does. First of all, I think Orla Brady is a delight and I love her, but her American accent is not very good. And Awful. that's okay. I'm going to write a heist movie where Orla Brady and Jason Isaacs play divorced spouses who have to reunite as professional thieves for one last job. And I feel like her terrible American accent can be a plot point. I really appreciate Star Trek doing my work for me here. Very good. I had a lot to say last week about not wanting fake Laris and fake Soji, and I would still rather mm. have those characters. But 
I did not hate Talon. She was so different from Laris, and yet her technology is very Romulan. So mm. I like her, and I'm curious about her. I loved the bit where Rafi is like, uh, your new friend looks exactly like your not-girlfriend. And Picard's like, I know, it's so weird. I feel like we've really been missing these little human lighter moments between characters. Yes. And I enjoy how unimpressed by Picard Talon is. And I have a lot of theories about who she is and who she's watching and why it's the wrong person. But I don't hate her. I, I would like her even more if she was played by Gates McFadden or someone completely new to the Star Trek franchise. But, you know, I, I enjoy Orla Brady in a nice bun and an ear cuff. I don't really have much to say about Talon. So this is where I admit that Assignment Earth is one of my least favorite <laughs> TOS episodes. <laughs> Not because there's anything wrong with it. Like, it's not a problematic episode. It's not a turnabout intruder kind of thing. It's just boring. <laughs> I find that episode super boring. And I know it was supposed to be a pilot for, and I just can't even imagine watching that show is what I'm at. And as soon as that became true, that it was connected, I was like, oh, she's so boring. Like, I immediately disliked that character, like that disliked, but I immediately was no longer interested in her. And that is, once again, a me problem. Well, it's kind of a problem that I share because I have always felt like that was not a great episode and NBC were 100% right to pass on that pilot and we didn't need to give Gene Roddenberry the spin-off he always wanted now. However... The most exciting thing, I think the most enduring thing about Assignment Earth is the cat. Gary Seven, the humans whose ancestors, I think, were abducted by aliens, and now he's been sent back to watch over the space program and keep human history on the right track. He's mostly human, but not entirely human. Yes. But we don't know what he is because that would have been explored, I guess. I don't know. I guess. I obviously did not have time to rewatch Assignment Earth. I assume that we'll add it to our lineup for a future time when we have time to do episodes that aren't about new Star Trek. Because I do remember liking the secretary character. But mm -hmm. Gary Seven has a cat. She's black. Her name is Isis. And Spock strokes her a lot, so she comes up a lot in gift sets because cats. And in one scene, she briefly turns into a human-looking woman. And there was this whole thing about who was this uncredited actress and it was a big mystery and she's only recently been found and that's interesting and so mm -hmm. when I saw the assignment earth stuff coming up this week I was like maybe Orla Brady is playing Isis the cat <laughs> I like that theory way more than <laughs> she's just one of them one of the guardians the supervisors I, I mean it's also like it's again this is I, my bias I hate the idea of any alien organization with managers and supervisors <laughs> and, and people watching over us at all times. Like the whole concept goes completely against, it's like the time variance authority. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to burn it down. I really should send you my middle grade manuscript. I, I also hate this concept, but I guess it's canon now, so whatevs. Maybe Picard will burn it down. We know how much he hates authority. But then Orla Brady tweeted something about 
whether her character was now or had ever been a cat. And I was like, right. oh, all is with me on this. And then I'm like, well, you can't really have a character named Isis in 2022, which is unfortunate. But... So I looked up the name Talon and it's the capital city of Estonia. So no obvious cat connections that I can see there. But I'm kind of hoping that she is, in fact, some sort of shapeshifter and is sometimes it a cat. It totally sounds like a cat name from the Uhura songbook. It sounds like a cat name from the Talesian series. Yes. It could easily be tail involved in some way. Mm. So I can see it as a cat name. <laughs> and I like that theory more than I like her just being, I, I don't really want her to be like Laris's ancestor, which this is where I... Because we've got the songs in this episode yes. too, it feels like probably that's what's happening. We even had like Elnor looking like someone else. There was the resemblance. Yeah. So, I don't know. It just feels like maybe Romulans are edging their way back in. And her technology looked very Romulan. So I could see like the supervisors or whatever were also taking Romulans and altering them mm. and something, something, watching and observing is genetic? I don't know. I don't know, but this is as good a place as any to mention that Q quoted the Vash, which I personally <laughs> love as the only person who cares about the Vash in the entirety Star Trek fandom. I care about the secret, secret Romulans. I was going to say we should add the Jat Vash to our lineup of cosplays for 2024. That's, yes. I got so excited. I was just absolutely thrilled that they mentioned that at all. I mean, it's a throwaway cue line, but it's clearly important. He did it on purpose. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, John DeLancey paused and we were like, you know, this is important, everybody pay attention. Mm. And it's when I started thinking that Rene Picard is not important at all. So yeah, the Romulans are creeping back in. They're just the fact, like, again, throwaway line, you know, three words, but the fact that it relates at all to the plot of the first season, that the first season has any bearing on this story at all is important to me. No, no, I agree. Speaking of things creeping back in, Trekcore observed that there were standard issue Starfleet medical kits, not Confederation, but Federation, on the La Serena in the background this week that were not there last week and were certainly not around to save Elnor. And this is not how time travel has worked previously in Star Trek, but it's as if something is being changed and the results are incrementally appearing on the La Serena. That's super interesting. Yeah. And then you have these Romulan elements, you know, just tiptoeing in through the back door, which is really interesting to me. Maybe Seven will find her Borg implants slowly reappearing, which would be very unpleasant. I hate that. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> The other thing I think is that Orla Brady is generally not the sort of person who tweets deep cut Star Trek references. Mm. And so I, I don't for a minute think that she was told to tweet that or anything silly like that, but the idea has been put in her head. 
whether through the script or whether she's reading fan theories or whatever, that there is a connection mm-hmm. with Isis, which I'm going to talk about at length when we get to Corey Sung. Do you want to get to Corey Sung? No, let's follow our outline because I'd like, oh, I, think, okay. I think we should talk about Renee, Renee Picard. Picard first. <laughs> Although I do think that Renee and Corey need to kiss. I will be excited when they're in the same place. <laughs> Okay, I will be excited when they have personalities beyond what people tell us about them. But I am very open to shipping it when they meet. It's fair. I've shipped less, so go for it. We have two plus going on at the same time, and that's why it really feels like Q, if Q is even behind all of this, but the powers that be are tricking our crew into thinking that Renee Picard and Renee Picard being on this Europa mission is the catalyst for everything. Mm. And I feel that Q giving Dr. Sung <laughs> genetic information to create cures for superhumans yeah. is somewhat more important. I agree. First of all, because we have to make sure this space mission goes ahead is a cliche in Star Trek at this point. It's very predictable. It was the plot of First Contact. It was the plot of Assignment Earth. Mm-hmm. And so I think Renee is important, but she's also a red herring. And her importance right. is more in terms of the parallels between her and Picard, but also what she represents as a Wesley figure, this prodigy, this genius who gets to the point where she's on the cusp of having everything she wanted and then realising maybe that's not what she wants. Mm-hmm. And she's a woman. And also mm-hmm. that she deals with chronic depression. And I mm-hmm. think Picard speaks about that with a lot of wisdom and compassion when he says humans are lucky to survive it. One of the moments that I really loved in this episode mm. was the very appropriate ways that depression was discussed and Mm. also therapy and how absolutely outraged Picard was twice. Yes. That both we were peeking in on her therapy in the first place. He was upset about that. And then the fact that Q was pretending to be her therapist, which I mean, of course, yes, everybody should be upset about that. But I really appreciated that it wasn't just Q is messing things up, but it was that Q is pretending to be a therapist. And that is just straight up wrong. Deanna would be so proud of him. Also, Picard is not allowed to watch Good Sam. I think he would find it very upsetting. (laughs) I was going to say it's interesting that we have Renee as a character who suffers from chronic depression, and then a few episodes ago we had the Borg Queen basically saying the same thing about Agnes. At the time, I was like, it's 2400, surely there are better SSRIs by then, and chemical clinical depression should not be as big of a thing as it is now. But now I'm starting to think that they did that intentionally because I think that Renee is also going to be important to Agnes. They even look similar with their blonde curls and blue eyes. So this is where I'm going to jump in and say not only do they have the blonde curls and blue eyes, but Renee was introduced wearing the bright red t-shirt. and yes. Agnes wears the bright red dress to the party where she goes to see Renee. And I think this is important 
because yes, they're on parallel storylines, mm. but I think it was the episode before last, I believe, where Agnes, well, while she was being assimilated, mm. <laughs> she said to Picard that she sometimes wishes that he was her dad. Oh. And in my photo cap, I put little bubbles of all the other people who <laughs> have said yes. that they wish Picard was their dad. And it included Wesley, and it also included Rene Picard, his nephew. Mm. And the tagline for it was, don't do that. <laughs> it, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't end well. <laughs> Bad idea, Agnes. But I do, I really think that we are supposed to be seeing them as a father-daughter pair as much as he was introduced saying that he hates children has he has picked up a lot, a lot of a lot yeah. of relationships with people that he is a father figure to and definitely we have seen multiple episodes and moments where he has said that he missed out on that and that he's upset that he didn't get to have a family which is notable because character who focused on their career instead of family and then comes to regret that is usually a woman and it's usually pretty sexist. So to have a man taking that position is interesting. A man with such a storied career too. Yeah. Jean-Luc Picard is going to be, you know, going down in the history books for all time. Absolutely. You can't say that he gave up his chance at a family just to mess about in middle management. The other thing about Renee and Agnes, I think a lot of us have been theorising that the, the Kim Kardashian Borg queen in the Stargazer is, is, Agnes. is Agnes. I've now seen the theory that it's Renee or even Corey mm. and I could buy that. But what I want to suggest is maybe it's not Jean-Luc Picard that the Borg are asking for. Maybe it's Renee. Interesting. Because the other thing is that they specify that Renee is Picard's great-great-whatever-aunt, not a direct ancestor. Yeah, I thought it was cousin, but yeah. Right. Something like that. I think with that many generations, <laughs> he, it could He be called ever. it aunt and not Laris Talon called it cousin. So yeah, it doesn't matter. So that means there's no requirement for her to stick around in the 21st century and have children who will grow up to you know, mm, produce more be. children. Like Picard, she has sort of stepped outside of that genetic heritage but we she is remembered in the history books or i guess is she only remembered by him like she's only important to jean-luc so if she's not on the mission it's okay i don't think i'd go that far but this mission is you know happening now in 2024 and after that her life is wide open picard himself says all he knows about the history is that she found this potentially sentient molecule or whatever right right you're right so yeah i i think it's wide open i loved that line yeah just as a another throwaway it, that was for the canon bros yes <laughs> it's not a continuity error it's history was messed up by all of the terrible things that happened at this time in the timeline and i completely agree that that is very possible there was this tumblr post that was like people are going to look back on the pandemic and they're going to have this story about it and please find this post about what the reality was and how we did not come together and we were not this wonderful community and it didn't save the world. I was just like, A, depressing, B, true. Yes. 
I actually think one of the showrunners said in an interview a couple of weeks ago that their headcanon essentially was that the timing of the eugenics wars is not actually that clear because so much data was lost. And so historians are actually sort of guessing at when the eugenics wars were. And at the time, I was like, oh yeah, that's a nice fan wank. Now, with Adam Sung's little project, I'm starting to wonder if that's actually a plot point. Mm-hmm. Because I don't actually care that Khan himself says he's from the 90s, because Khan also thought he had met Chekhov, and we know he didn't. So, like, dude's memory is very sus. <laughs> I mean, he is canonically a crazy person. <laughs> that's, that's literally his character. Also, I think a few throwaway lines are much easier to hand wave than a whole war that continues right. to be part of canon. So let's talk about Adam Sung, who is the worst, though he's not even the worst Sung. He's like, I don't know, lower tier. They're all terrible. There was an article I saw. It was like Bryn Spiner's new character, Adam Sung, accidentally makes Khan more relatable or something. <laughs> it's just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes. I mean, I, I, I feel like a broken record at this point. Bryn Spiner annoys me. His character annoys me. Issa Brion's was acting circles around him and she had half the screen time and half the lines yeah, and half as much to do and half as much characterization. <laughs> and yet I care about her so much and I don't care about him at all. No, I agree. I think, you know, Spider is perfectly good as the asshole genius who, who wants to save the world and will do anything to get there and I kind of appreciate how this makes Arik Sung in Enterprise like his interest in genetics makes more sense now whereas I was always mm -hmm. kind of like how did this family get from genetics to AI but yeah I, I enjoyed Q's date with Adam it's like the worst Tinder date ever <laughs> it's so true <laughs> they belong together oh my gosh just the annoying white men of Star Trek but what interests me is Corey, because clearly the Sungs are going to be the catalyst for the eugenics wars. Part of mm -hmm. me wonders if it's actually going to be Corey rather than Adam, because she seems like such a nice girl and she's such a... I have this problem with both Corey and Renee, which is probably why I ship them. They're not so much characters yet, they're just girl-shaped motivations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, we don't know anything about her yeah other than that she's led this sheltered life even her origins have been suggested to be weird right like she asks about her mother and he sort of changes the subject in a dodgy way right. but Corey you your note here is a plus names and then I sort of went on a bit of a tear Corey is an alternative name for Persephone and it's not really a name, it's more of a label. It just means maiden. And there are particular periods in Greek history where there are like statues of girls that are called Corys because they're just girls. And Persephone, she's the daughter of Demeter, she's abducted by Hades, she's tricked into eating the pomegranate seeds and has to stay underground for six months of the year. It's sort of been reclaimed as this great feminist love story, but it's basically abduction and rape and 
tragedy. And she was also the queen of the dead and had many darker aspects than just being the queen of spring. And Corey was sort of a title that was given her as kind of like, hey, nice, nice, nice death god. Please overlook us until our time. Thanks. It was a way of placating her by appealing to her brighter aspects. So then I looked up Isis, the Egyptian goddess, and she's she's sort of almost an all-purpose female goddess in Egypt because Egyptian culture persisted for so many millennia that you can't really ever say anyone is just one thing. But when we hit the era of Greco-Roman Egyptian culture, the Romans and the Greeks were very into syncretizing other people's gods with their own and just sort of bringing them into the fold and matching them up with other gods and putting them into a new context. The cult of Isis was very, very popular across Rome and Isis was heavily linked with Demeter, who was the mother of Persephone slash Cori. And this is a very long way of saying that I think Talon is watching over the wrong person. And she's supposed to be watching over Cori song? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I meant <laughs> was, yes, that it is a, a name for Persephone, my favorite goddess. Yes. And that she is trapped underground for half oh. a year and can't get out. And also that Adam, mm. obviously, is the first man yes. in the Bible. So <laughs> what I was thinking is that Adam is the first man, but he's also, as the father of Cory, is Zeus. Yes. And so there's this idea of the God and man being the same. And since we know that Adam Sung eventually creates the human first confederation yes. whole deal, that felt very relevant. Of course. That, that there was both the artificial and the spark of life mm. and the first song i'm gonna say this is our first song that matters in the long long line of songs <laughs> a long 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 line of men played by prince so i just thought that that they were very well named sort of playing with aspects of different ways of looking at these characters from mythology Mm. with the mythology of Star Trek on top of it. I like how I just went on a big spiel about Greco-Roman Egypt and you were like, Liz, it's obvious she's kept underground. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't mean that you're wrong. I think it's possible that I'm overthinking it, but this is my very, very favourite type of overthinking. Exactly. I am intrigued by the eugenic stuff because I've already decided that my favourite character in Strange New Worlds is La'an Nuni and Singh, and they have said Obviously. That she is connected to the Khan Nuni and Singh. And so I feel like Picard is laying a lot of groundwork for the eugenics wars and giving us a bit of a sneak peek into La'an's background. And I'm really excited about that. I wouldn't say that it's a period in canon that I find intrinsically interesting, but ever since it was introduced in DS9, I've always been interested in 
the Federation ban on genetic manipulation and the human taboo against eugenics and any kind of gene manipulation. It's, it is very interesting, again, tying into the first season with the ban on artificial yes. intelligence and genetics, to the point where they weren't allowed to use artificial cells or whatever to save Thad Riker. Right. Whereas I'm pretty sure we've had Beverly creating retro genes to cure genetic diseases. But I think the difference is you have to let the person be born and see if the gene activates before you go messing about with their genome. Like, I feel like that's where they're drawing the line, which is fair. That makes sense to me. I'm not a bioethicist, but it seems like a field where you would want to be cautious about tampering. And I have seen Gattaca. I should probably watch it again. Jane Brooks in it. That's what I was about to say. But also because the one time I've seen it was a slumber party when I was 17 and that's not really the ideal movie for that uh, situation. Yeah, no. 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 Mm-mm. I was like, this is amazing. I can't follow it at all. All of my friends are talking <laughs> and the boy I have a crush on is right there. That was difficult. Anyway, I'm curious to see where this story goes. I'm eager for... Corey to maybe get some sort of second dimension as a character? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's really difficult because she can't interact with anyone other than her father. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's like a plot point. Do people even know she exists? It seems very weird. (laughs) Like... I, yeah, I I wondered that too. I don't really know what's going on. It's very, very... The only way that she will get to do anything is if she is cured. Maybe she'll get to talk to Q. Is that a really good good idea? No. No. Q is not allowed to talk to any more of these young women of 2024, I've decided. And my only exception is Guinan because she's not really a young woman and she'll just shoot him in the head. No, she can hurt him. Maybe. Go Guinan. I know we don't need everything to be explained to us, but what if this season gives us the origin story for Guinan's hatred of Q? That's amazing. I will forgive them a few things for that. So, is it time to talk about Agnes? (sighs) Agnes, Agnes, Agnes. Oh, Agnes. She walks into the gala wearing that red dress and that magnificent lipstick. And I really want to find out what it is, because even if that color doesn't work for me, maybe something else in the brand will. But my flatmate said, wow, she's really got her tits out. And then we find out that she's joined with the Borg Queen. And it's like (laughs) the expositional boobs. The Borg Queen was all cleavagey and now Agnes is. They're Borg boobs. I maintain that not only is the red to connect her to Renee, but it's also a nod to Battlestar Galactica mm. because she's got a little head queen going yes. on, just like guys Baltar does. And as we know, number mm. six is introduced a platinum blonde in a red dress. And she so. frequently wears red dresses through the rest of the series. My flatmate's favorite series, or one of her favorite series, is BSG. And it's in part because her all-time favorite trope is the person with a, a character living in their head. So when we pan out and we see the Borg Queen sitting invisibly with Agnes, she made the same noise that she makes when the cat does something really adorable. Oh. It was I... precious. Well, I got so excited myself. I'm, I love 
I feel like I talk about Baltarn 6 all the time, so people already know. We have I'm talked about James Callis a lot. With Baltarn 6 and how perfect they are. And I just remember the first time I watched Downloaded and oh. 6 had a head Baltar and I almost started crying. <laughs> I was like, this is the best thing that ever happened. So I'm thrilled. There's just so much fun to be mm. had. Poor Agnes has been possessed again. She has nightmares in her head that aren't hers again. It's all very, if something happens enough times, it's like, oh, that was, that's your destiny, Agnes. Yeah. Those two possessions on top of clinical depression. I'm just like, I would not like to be in Agnes's head these days. However, I also, and this is again me overthinking it wildly, you know, we have Agnes in the red dress and Renee in the red shirt and a lot of the design around Project Europa is red. And Mm -hmm. what was little Annika Hansen's favourite colour? Aww, precious. I do think that this is me overthinking it, but at the same time, if Agnes is to be saved and I'm not convinced that she's going to make it but I suspect Seven will have a lot to do with it 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 might involve Seven acknowledging the freedom she's had as a full human but also re-embracing her Borg side I mean not to be me yes Seven also has white blonde curls yes and she's wearing black but whenever she's in the sun or bright lights, you can see that her black is actually a maroon black. Yeah, it's a burgundy. So, which is in opposition to Raffi's. I know that I overthink costuming and hairstyle, but I also think that that is an art form. (laughs) And if you, you know, if you're the costumer, you do put in effort into saying something about the characters with what they're wearing. That's the purpose of costuming. Absolutely. And none of this happens by accident. None of these choices are being made because they ran out of money and had to make do with what they had. I also Mm -hmm. want to point out that traditionally the colour of the Borg has been green, which Mm -hmm. is the opposite colour to red. And so it's like we were saying last, like I was saying last week, and you were politely listening, that the Borg that we see in the Stargazer are not the Borg collective, but something new. Yes. And again, if it's this queen who's been cut off, Mm. the the lonely queen, Agnes and Seven, like Borg revolution. Yeah. Matriarchy. You know, that's three goddesses right there. (laughs) Let's go. I'm ready. (laughs) I didn't even think of that, but... That's amazing. Like you have the ball queen as the crone, apologies to Annie Wershing, and Seven as the mother who has resisted memories of the loss of her surrogate child. And then you have Agnes as the maiden, the Corey. Oh, that's my other fear for this season. Last week we were talking about who was going to get the Edith Keeler ending. I fear it's going to be Corey. That she has to die in order for what the eugenics war is not happening or the eugenics war is happening correctly yeah i think in order for the eugenics wars to end the way that they did in 
the Federation timeline, mm-hmm. Corey may have to die. Obviously, I would prefer it's Adam, but in general, men don't sacrifice themselves to save the timeline. True. Sad, but true. Mm. <laughs> I'm, like, sad now. I'm sorry. Renee seems to be in a better position to survive. Yes. Uh, or, I guess, come to the future. Because everybody is, is working really hard to protect her. And they don't even know Core exists. Yes. Other than Q. And again, Q is misdirecting them. I have no comprehension what Q is doing. I don't know. No. And I'm curious, but I'm also eager to see, just see it play out. I don't feel any particular compulsion to theorize. I hate misdirection. It always comes down to I hate misdirection. But the idea that this is all still just Ricard's test, that the, yeah. everything that's happened this entire season is Picard being tested for humanity's sake or whatever. Mm. And therefore everything that is happening is happening because Q is manipulating it to be this way. And, you know, Picard is the only one with any agency mm. that even Agnes and Raffi and Seven and Rios. <laughs> Poor Rios, he literally did nothing. So is that what is happening? I don't know if I like it. Mm. Or is that the misdirection? I don't know if I like it. Either way, I don't like you is where I'm going. <laughs> I feel like there is definitely going to be a twist of some kind because they're setting up a heist and there's always a twist in a heist. There's always the point where the target that you think they're going for is not the obvious one. And I also think that Q wants Picard to believe that he is setting this up and is very much in control. I don't think he is. His powers are diminished, and I don't know if he's acting entirely of his own will, because the way he's talking about how loving someone makes you vulnerable Mm. almost makes me wonder if he is being blackmailed. We know Mm. he has a son as much as I try to forget it. I'm sure Seven of Nine tries to forget it as well, because let's not forget that the one time Seven met Q's, they sexually assaulted her by clicking her clothes off. Your face. I'm so glad that we've moved to doing this over Zoom so that I can see your face. (laughs) My many faces. So many faces. But... It need not be an individual Q. It could be the whole continuum that's at risk. And Q is trying to save them, but he's also set Picard in motion in the hopes that Picard can somehow stop him while also preserving the continuum. Disguising Mm. it as a Q test because he knows Picard won't back down. Oh, and because Picard loves that. Yes. I don't remember who said it, but... Picard loves puzzles yes. and mysteries and solving things and riddles and playing games with Q. It was Raffi. When Raffi was yelling at yes. Picard and saying that Q and Picard are playing a game with real people's lives. And that's wholly true. She is completely accurate. Picard loves those things. And it's not like, obviously, Picard loved Elnor and cares about Elnor and cares about Rafi and cares about people. Mm. But he is also a house-type character who is so invested in the mystery mm. and solving the puzzle that 
the person who's actually sick isn't necessarily what his motivations are. He's very much a big picture guy. Thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not the details. I felt like that scene was a little unfair and it reminded me of Cisco being angry at him in Emissary in that we have these fantastic scenes of black people calling Picard out, but they're actually calling him out for things that are done to him rather than things that he has done. And so their position is automatically undermined. And that troubles me as a pattern. But I do think that Rafi is not entirely wrong. Left to his own devices, Picard would very happily never see Q again. But once Q is there, Picard will grumble and complain and resist every step of the way like a cat being taken to a bath. But ultimately, he plays the game. He, he does the Robin Hood. He figures out the anomaly. And so, yeah, I think this is a hostage situation and Q cannot ask Picard for help openly, but he's going to trick Picard into helping him. That's a very interesting idea. I like it. I like it better than either of the things that I've laid out. <laughs> I think because that would be surprising. That would be a... Not to me, obviously. <laughs> well, but for Q, it would yes. be surprising for the characterization of Q and the only way Q is interesting is if he learns each time and and isn't the same and isn't that trickster mischief discord Loki. Right. But also it's a twist that derives from their characters and from the decades of interaction that are behind Mm -hmm. them. It's not just surprise. He's a mischievous trickster. Right. Having said that, traditionally when Q needs help with Continuum stuff, he goes to Janeway. So I'm like, did he try this with Janeway and it just didn't work? And so he's gone to Picard as a backup? Truly in my heart, there is an AU where like, the whole La Serena crew, including all of the Romulans and Beverly Crusher, so some people who aren't really part of it, but anyway, where they're all running around 2024. And there's also a separate version where Seven of Nine is doing this with the Voyager crew. Anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's Seven and Janeway and Chakotay and Tuvok and Bolana and Paris. <laughs> I know. And Paris is like, no, it's the 20th century that I love. This century is stupid. And Harry, <laughs> basically everyone but Neelix and the Doctor. But I like to think that Pew has already done this run through and it didn't work. Uh, so it's like the good place. <laughs> He just keeps, you know, resetting. Well, I just realised that there's like a whole episode of Voyager where it's important that Janeway's ancestor was not, in fact, an astronaut. So maybe this is why it's Picard. But anyway. I have something to say about Rios. Yes. Who did nothing this episode other than annoy me by making fun of Agnes. Like, are we supposed to... Like, I don't understand anything about that relationship at this point. No. But other than that, the only other thing that Rios did is at the very beginning, Seven and Rafi are able to stop the bus with the tricorder and take out the guard. Yes. Stunned him. Yes. And set all of the immigrants free. (laughs) Yes. Which is great. I'm very happy because I was concerned that they were just going to leave the rest of these poor guys in... (laughs) hell but yes i didn't think that they were going to leave them but the one that we were introduced to last pedro his name is pedro rios and pedro have this one brief scene Mm -hmm. 
It's barely, it's a moment. They basically, you know, is everything going to be okay? Yeah, sure. And then Pedro leaves and Rios goes off with Seven and Rafi and uh, rejoins our crew. But there's this moment where Rios looks sort of wistful, like Mm. he would rather leave with them and, you know, go back to Teresa and this time period is simpler somehow or or something. Like there was this weird moment where he had this, it would be okay to be here kind of vibe to him. Yeah, I'm like, how long were you handcuffed next to Pedro? Do I need to ship it? Because I will. And I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that in case it comes up (laughs) later on. For a very, very brief moment, I thought maybe Rios is going to (laughs) stay. in the past at the end of this because he's going to realize that that's what he's actually wanted. I obviously hope he doesn't, but I do think that we're going to see Teresa and her kid again and maybe also Pedro and the allies that they have formed in 2024 because otherwise if we don't see are going to be important yeah Yeah. because if we don't see this again then it's just been a lot of misery porn with no narrative purpose and I know it's important to highlight the abuses of ice, but every single cop show does that. Like, I mean, we've already established, although you said the Trek horses this isn't true anymore, but we have established that the ship doesn't have good medical supplies. So if someone were hurt in the heist, the only doctor they know yes. would be Teresa. I can, I can see that. Or if they have to kidnap Corey for some hilarious reason and hijinks ensue and I'm writing fic in my head. The other thing I wanted to say before we wrap up is that Seven and Rafi barely interacted this week but they did not seem to hate each other. On the other hand, in group shots they're standing very far apart and I'm still seeing divorce on the horizon. However, and I think this is because it's directed by Jonathan Frakes, there were several bits where this team felt like a team who actually like each other. And it's been a while since that happened. One was the bit where Talon and Picard appear on the La Serena and he's talking about how great his crew is and their totes profesh. And they look down and these guys are literally, not literally disposing a body. Dragging like, a body. <laughs> the cop is alive. His spleen is gone, but he's alive. But the point is, that was hilarious. And then there was the bit with Raffi and Picard going, it's weird how she looks like Laris, right? That was great. And then, I know you just complained about it, but I kind of liked Rios going, really? Are we leading this heist with Agnes? Because I think he has a point that normally Agnes would be the one staying behind to work the tech. Yes, but it's been established that that's the weakness that the board queen has been telling her. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's reinforcement for Mm. Agnes that she's Mm. right to be allying herself with the Borg Queen because her friends are kind of terrible. I mean, that kind of, to me, feels like something that does happen when you're depressed or in any way vulnerable, that Mm. every single light remark lands like a brick and it's hard to distinguish between genuine intentional cruelty and casual cruelty and it's also hard to speak up and go I know that was a joke and in another circumstance I might even find it funny but I can't do that right now it's hard to do that under better circumstances for Agnes I would have thought that bit was hilarious as it is I thought it's bittersweet but it felt like a real natural interaction 
between people who like each other even though they have just or are about to break up. I do not disagree with you. I just think that from so from my perspective, mm-hmm. and I'm definitely like over relating with Agnes, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I'm over relating with Agnes. <laughs> but again. From my perspective, Rios has every interaction they've had this season has been Rios not appreciating who she is. Yeah. And instead wishing her to be something else. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's fair. And I think maybe I am over-identifying with Rios in that I am often the one who is being unintentionally cruel because I think I'm very funny. And unlike Rios, most of my friends will go, Liz, come on. And then I apologise and we move on. But none of us are in life and death situations and hopefully none of my friends have a Borg Queen in their head. Though I'm definitely going to check. I kind of wish I had a Borg Queen in my head. Solve all my problems. Where's Beverly was talking about how the Borg Queen is coming onto Agnes like a cult leader. And I was like, Agnes Mm -hmm. is this close to being, like, she would join Nexium. She would 100% be doing the Midnight Volleyball. She would be working at WeWork. She would be probably not a Scientologist. I feel like she's too rational for that. But literally any rational cult out there she's fair game and I really like that that's part of her personality and that she is susceptible in this way and it's not something that human beings have outgrown in the 24th century but also I worry for her I also just want to mention one thing that I really liked and I think it was in last episode Mm -hmm. but when the queen is talking to Agnes and said I don't know if it's this this episode or last episode but she says across all the timelines you're always alone and that's why you're lonely your Mm. loneliness is Mm. because there's no universe where you're happy and part of a team and it reminds me of the novel q squared yes where there's q and then trelane and basically trelane says the same thing to jack crusher you're the only jack crusher in your mistake and in your universe wesley died and in all the other universes wesley lived and you died Mm. in order to get beverly and picard together yeah (laughs) that book is amazing i know i know we have talked shit about peter david on this very podcast but when we do our episode about his contributions to star trek i am going to have to talk up my love for q squared it's an amazing book. I, I remember getting that from the library when I was 13 and I knew there was a lot of Picard Crusher content in it and I was so excited. I was physically shaking. <laughs> so I liked in that book that it was Jack Crusher because Jack Crusher is another person who is more a collection of ideas yeah, <laughs> than a character yeah, in yeah. any way. But it's even better for it to be Agnes. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, for a, that character to be a nerdy woman yes is absolutely amazing to me i'm like yes i feel like i've won something by agnes getting that characterization yeah see what it reminded me of was the scene in loki where morbius says you're always alone you always betray everyone you love and that is just Mm -hmm. who you are and then over the course of the season loki proves him wrong at every turn and i feel like 
A, clearly Agnes is a Loki. <laughs> you just, I was going to say, wait, <laughs> you're saying that Agnes is Loki. So you don't understand that Loki is me. <laughs> when I say that I over-identify with characters, <laughs> Sylvie is like, wow. <laughs> and so Agnes, who you were already being a, a, being a Loki, yeah, yeah it was, that's very exciting to me. Also, she and Sylvie basically have the same hair. And the same inability to communicate with people. <laughs> yes, Sylvie is much, much cooler, but we know from the male Lokis that there's a wide spectrum of coolness. What I was actually going to say is, just as Loki goes on to prove Mobius wrong, then so... Double Agnes. Yeah, yeah. And I think yes. if Agnes is to be saved, then part of that is realising her own value and acknowledging... Or, or being able to internalise that people do care about her, which is really, mm-hmm. really hard with depression. It's it's almost the most challenging part. But I, I want her to know that it's not just the Borg Queen that multiple people do care about her, even her ex-boyfriend who is kind of a dick. I think that they do even rely on her. Like, they Carter do. wasn't wrong when he was saying to her, I need you to be on this ship so that you can fix the ship and mm. make it so that we can all talk to each other and we can all use the transporters. And he wasn't pretending. She is the best person for that role and they need that. Mm. So it wasn't like, I'm leaving you behind because I don't think that you're going to be useful to me on this mission. It's your position in this mission is fixing this ship. Yeah. And it's sad. Yeah. Sad that that means you get left behind, but that's the truth of it. I feel like half the problem with depression is that your brain is lying to you, and the reality that she is an essential part of the team, and that these guys really do seem to like her for all of her weirdness, is just something that her brain cannot acknowledge. That scene with Picard, while he was awkward and very Picard about it, he did get through to her like yeah, she yeah. she did listen she she responded well to him and that's mm. you know the mentor father type relationship that i keep seeing and so i'm not angry at picard i'm not actually angry at rios i just <laughs> think that rios is not reading agnes at all but then like rios is really terrible like <laughs> rios is not great at responding to emotions either. There's just a whole whole ship full of people who are bad at this. I still think they needed to take Deanna with them when they left Nepenthe, yes. and she should be with them now. Weirdly, Eleanor, who was, like, raised in such a very strange way, but he was the best at it because he didn't have any filters, and so he w- would just say everything. Yes. But he... He was also the innocent, and so you could get away with a lot more. And now without him to balance it out at all, it's really just a bunch of people who are yeah. terrible. Yeah. Terrible at feelings. Terrible at feelings. Which is, you know, fun to watch. Last season I was like, this is a bunch of people and their space grandpa, and what they really need is a responsible adult, and that should be Tuvok. Tuvok is not the person we need in this situation either. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think Deanna should be with them, and... The only problem with that is that she would see Q interfering with Renee's therapy and just seek him out and punch him in the face. (laughs) Which I would love to see if anyone wants to make that happen. Yes, I can't draw that kind of action, so can someone else please draw that? Let's, uh... 
call that a day. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. Though transcripts are currently running behind, because like we said at the beginning, I am just so busy. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr, all at Antimatterpod, and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. We will also accept gifts of cat pictures. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week when we'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Picard and hopefully getting some more of that heist. <laughs>